Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Bhutang tamang sankang namasame So this this afternoon, I've been invited to give reflection on this very important day in the history of Buddhism, the Vesaka Puja Day. On the full moon of May, this is May 26, 2021. And this is the one, one of the most important festival days in, the, in this particular tradition, Theravada Buddhism, when we celebrate the, the birth of the Lord Buddha, the enlightenment and the passing away, the death of the historical Buddha. So these are events that bring us to this opportunity to celebrate between birth and death, enlightenment, because this is an opportunity that we all share. So we all are aware we've been born, there's nobody questioning that fact. The bodies here have all been born and reached a certain age. In the future they all die. And so this is just the, the natural uh, sequence of life, birth and death, beginning and end, that we tend to identify with. We tend to identify strongly with birthdays and when somebody dies on, in, in reference points on tombstones and so forth. In England, you always record the birth date and the death date. And so these are things that we take for granted. The experience that we have now is conscious awareness within the forms that will eventually die. So this is a celebration of this opportunity that we have, and particularly the Buddha pointed this out so very clearly when he was alive in India 2,564 years ago. Enlightenment is available to every one of us to see the truth, break through the illusions of identity with the birth and death sequences of the forms that we tend to assume are what we are. So like the ego, the sense of a separate self is based on this strong identity and belief that, that one is the physical body. Because that does seem rather obvious that when we think about, when we use thought, we've been culturally attuned to the belief that we are these mortal forms 
and and we don't question it. We tend to operate from that assumption. So we identify with her gender, whether male or female, we identify with um, the age, whether we're ch a child, an infant, teenager, young person, middle-aged, old. Uh, we identify the age of the body. And so this identity seems to cement this fixed view, confirm the, this view that, that one really is uh, a conditioned phenomenon and that, you know, we are bound in this limited form for a lifetime from birth until the day we die. So the Buddha's teaching is an investigation. Is, is this ultimately true? You know, is this uh, something that we can just accept totally on what we've been told since we were children? What our culture, what the society, uh, whatever it may be, whether it's European, Asian, or wherever, believe in the mortal forms in this strong identity, fixed identity with birth, with the age, with the gender, and the eventual death of the forms, disappearance of the forms. So when the Buddha, when we celebrate the enlightenment of the Buddha, because he actually... Buddha is, wasn't born Buddha. He was born a prince, Siddhartha. He was given a name as an infant in India, Siddhartha. So that was part of the cultural conditioning of India at that time in his particular social milieu. But then we celebrate the birth of the Buddha, but that's more or less a way of speaking, because Buddha isn't about being born. It's not about death either. It's about awakening to ultimate reality, to Dhamma, to the deathless. So here at Amaravati, the main emphasis has always been on deathlessness. In fact, the the, the name of the monastery, Amaravati, means the deathless realm. Because this deathlessness is something not generally culturally considered very important. You know, we think, we think of immortal, immortality as a kind of being born and living forever. That's one view of the immortal, the gods in, on Mount Olympus or whatever are you know, we have a beginning, but they live for eternity. But then we think, where are the gods of Mount Olympus? You know, Zeus, Hera, Aphrodite at this point, you know, as far as we're concerned, they already died. You know, the, 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 the names and, and beliefs in the gods and goddesses of Greek, Roman mythology, Scandinavian, Germanic mythology, and so forth that were prior to Christianity, prior to Buddhism, have all, you know, been fully accepted and, and believed in until the, the time changes, something new happens, a new religious form is, is assumed, and we operate from the 
concepts, belief systems of that particular philosophy or religion. So in enlightenment, this is the, the great thing, this is what we really celebrate on Wisaka Puja. This ability, this, this opportunity that we all have to realize Dhamma before the physical forms that we identify with cease, before they die. And that's something to really appreciate. You know, I think back in my life as a Buddhist monk, you know, how fortunate I've been to personally uh, been able to hear the teaching of the Lord Buddha, to have that opportunity in my life, this lifespan uh, of this form, this physical body, to have the opportunity to, to reflect on it, to try to understand what, what is my birth and death and, and what is the world really at this time? What is right? What is wrong? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Is there any purpose to life? Is there any meaning to it? You know, these are all questions when, we, when we're growing up, we ask ourselves, what is the, the purpose of all this? Is it just to procreate the species and to survive? Uh, you know, is that like an animal and that we see, you know, in our forests and jungles? Is it, you know, is that all we do is just to procreate this form, these human forms? to be born and die in the next generation. So it's, to reflect on the Buddhist teaching, you know, in terms of our cultural way of thinking, it is an ancient teaching. You know, 2,564 years for most of us is, you know, very long ago. So we can, we give it the, the word an ancient teaching, uh, but it is a, you know, it's about here and now. It's not about time or culture. Buddha, Buddha Dhamma, the teaching of the Buddha adapts itself beautifully to different cultural changes, identities, and so forth. So we find at this time here in the UK, so much interest in Buddha Dhamma that isn't just you know, denying the realities of modern life, modern science, modern psychology, uh, philosophy, and so forth. We're not into denying and and judging and and uh, trying to form a cult, a Buddhist cult about belief that you have to believe in Buddhism, but it's to investigate the very believing mechanism that we all have. Because beliefs are, you know, given to us. We're not born believing in anything at all. Like a newborn child, newborn baby, it doesn't believe it's a human being or a boy or a girl or, uh, you know, it's not identified yet. It doesn't have language. Hasn't developed a memory. But it's conscious form in the universe. You know, so it's a human form giving us a, a, a species name, a human being. Uh, 
is a generic term for for all the, this this particular species, whether it's white or black or whatever the the color or appearance might be, whatever the gender might be. And it's this form that we also respect in in terms of the Buddha Rupa, the the figure of the Lord Buddha that's behind me at this moment in the temple, beautiful icon of enlightened awareness of the human form awakened to reality. It's not a golden image to worship and believe it has magic powers, even though we can project, you know, if we just believe in Buddha as some kind of myth or some kind of cultural uh, conditioning, and what we've been told to believe that this Buddha Rupa has special magical powers in it, we can believe that, or we may not believe it. You know, so in in many places, Buddhists believe in 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 Buddha Rupas as being sacred and special and with magical powers that you pray to. And, and you uh, do pujas for and so forth because they, they believe in these kind of superstitions. Now these kind of superstitions are not like wrong. They can be, you know, in one way, give us moments of joy and happiness when we forget our lives, our daily lives, the dreariness of them, the problems that we personally experience in family life, in social life, and come to a temple and, and offer flowers, incense flowers uh, to the Buddha Rupa. You know, it can be a, a, a pleasant feeling, a joyful feeling to actually perform pujas. As we can see, the shrine is very decorated beautifully with flowers and lights, and this is a celebration of what? You know, just a belief in Buddhism, in Buddha as some kind of mythical or historical sage of the past that we worship, or is it the awakening opportunity we all share for enlightenment here and now timeless awareness that the Buddha of that ancient time, Gautama the Buddha actually was emphasizing in his teaching. And this is what's so timeless about the teaching. They're timeless teachings. They're not about Indian culture or belief systems or civilization 2,500 years ago. He's not saying you have to believe in in Buddha as some kind of deified uh, presence or some kind of metaphysical phenomena or some kind of uh, power or, or influence in the universe. It's not about trying to sanctify the word Buddha, but to use the word itself. When we take refuge in Buddha, you know, that is taking refuge in awareness in conscious awareness here and now. It's not just taking refuge in some mythical past form or historical memory that's managed to survive up to the present time.
So Amaravati, the name of the Buddha Rupa behind me, was given, the name itself was given by the late Sangharaja of Thailand, Somdet Nyana Sangwon, the, the Sangharaja of Thailand, who passed away several years ago. We asked him how, what, when we were having this Buddha caste in Thailand, we went to the Sangharaja in Wat Bawon and, and uh, asked him to give it a name. So he called it Puddha Tamajaka Amaravati. So there's the Tamajaka, the, the wheel of Dhamma, the rea- reality of Dhamma here and now, the deathless Amaravati, the deathless realm. So Buddha Dhammajaka Amaravati, you know, is a title we give to a Buddha Rupa, but it's much more. It has much more meaning, more importance than, than just engraving it in the bronze uh, image behind me. Because it's quite meaningful in a reflective way. Buddha, the word Buddha, is a, is a very powerful word. Because when we see the a Buddha Rupa, you know, what is your first reaction to it? What does it mean to you when you, when you bow three times coming into the temple and in front of the image of the Buddha and bow three times to Buddha Dhamma Sangha? It's ceremony, yes. It's tradition. It's form. And then we can believe that forms aren't necessary. So modern takes on Buddha, Buddha Dhamma in, in the West, especially, and believe you don't need Buddha Rupas or Pujas or chanting, you know, the whole kind of, because the Buddha taught awakened awareness here and now, that's all that's, that you need. And that, that's true, that's all you need, you know. And, as uh, Lumpur Cha once told me, true but not right, right but not true. It's a conundrum. You don't need Buddha Rupas or temples or Pali words, Buddha Dhamma You don't need that. That's not, you know, sine qua non, condition sine qua non. It's about how to use forms, not just deny them and take a view that they're totally irrelevant or unnecessary for enlightenment, because that's another belief. You know, we, we form our opinions uh, about, you know, what we believe in. If we, we think that the Buddhists said all conditions are impermanent, we can take a, a view that all conditions are something we should just reject and just abide in awareness, which is true but not right, right but not true. So this conundrum is a reflective one, because it's not logical. True and right are intellectual terms, what's right and what's true. These are thoughts, these are words in the English language. And we, we tend to believe logically that if it's true, it's right. And if it's right, it's true. So rightness becomes true and true becomes right. 
But then in terms of a conundrum or a koan or a questioning way to get beyond the intellectual assumptions that we operate from, we need these kind of mysteries, these questionable things that we consider, we reflect upon. That we're not just trying to figure out intellectually, you know, according to our our education and and appreciation of reason and logic, but awakening to the reflective ability that we all have, that we wouldn't be alive, we'd have no form if we couldn't reflect on it. So forms are not to be despised or denied, but to learn how to use them, how to use the, this particular form, Theravada Buddhism, as we uh, learned it, as we developed it in our lives in, uh, with Lung Par Cha from that particular tradition in Northeast Thailand. Because it's, it's a very good form, a very good tradition, not to be believed in blindly, but to be reflected upon, to see how we use it. Do we use it wisely, or are we just part of a system of belief? So enlightenment is the wise reflection on the way things are. All conditions are impermanent. Is that true? You know, if you believe that's true, that's a belief system because it's in the scriptures, it's the Buddha's teaching. So we can believe it. But belief isn't enough. It's to investigate. Like in Pawana or meditation, we investigate conditioned phenomena. If you can investigate yourself as a condition, with thoughts, with language, with concepts, no matter how brilliant your intellect might be, your ability to use uh, English words or Thai concepts, you know, with high education and, and high intellectual development, you still come to don't know. Because the intellect is conditioned, you know, so grasping the thinking processes as the meaning to life, you come up with maybe reasonable concepts that you believe in still, but you haven't kind of seen the, the illusion of the belief, the ability to believe without questioning. So believing in reason and logic just blindly, that that's the highest state that the human individual can attain is a PhD in, in science, in astrophysics, or you know how, uh, whatever uh, superlatives you can imagine at the present time in words, they're still words, whether they're coarse words or refined words, stupid words or intelligent words, reasonable or totally unreasonable. <clears throat> Where mindfulness isn't about words, about reason and logic, but about reflecting on the way things are. 
So at this very moment, here and now in the temple, on Vesaka Puja Day, May 6, 2021, full moon of May, the springtime, rites of spring, celebrations, they're part of cultural conditioning. But also, it's a, uh, this Vesaka Puja Day is an important opportunity to reflect on, on the Buddhist and what is enlightenment. is that we celebrate in the enlightenment of Gautama the Buddha 2,564 years ago is fair enough. I'm not against that. That's worth celebrating. But to bring it into the actual Dhamma practice that the Buddha emphasized over and over again in, in, his, in his scriptural teachings in the suttas wasn't about intellectual beliefs or reason or logic but about insight, knowing reality, awakening out of the illusions that we've been conditioned with through our cultural conditioning, through our personal identity, strong personal identity with the physical forms that we experience at this present moment. We, you know, we, these, are these, are you really you know, these are questions. Are you really a physical body? And then on, on the cultural level, you say, yes, this is me. I, when I, have a, I have a passport with a photograph of my face on the passport. And, you know, my mother told me I'm this physical form and, and uh, I was brought, brought up. I went to school and educated to believe in... in uh, that ultimate, that reality is about the material realm, the material realm that we experience, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think. What we feel is our reality. This is the real world. But what, what do, you know, real world are two words. What do they mean? What is the real world at this moment? And this is a question to investigate, not to, ask me to give you a definition of the real world, you know, to get my opinion about what I think the real world is, but to, to awaken to the reality of here and now, awareness here and now. So it's not kind of denying the conventions or just putting them down, saying they're all, you know, we give them the term of delusion, but that doesn't, that can sound like we're negating the, the material world that we identify with, but it's not about negating it or denying it, but understanding the limitation, the boundaries that we tend to be conditioned to hold to and identify with. So what is suffering when the Buddha's teaching of the Four Noble Truths. What is the cause of suffering? You know, we all suffer, no matter how fortunate our birth might be. Like the historical Buddha, Prince Siddhartha, was born into royal family, you know, had the best of everything. High status, 
you know, being brought up to, to be king, to be a ruler, to have the best education, the wisest sages around him. Well, you know, these are kind of superlatives of the most fortunate birth that we can imagine for a single human being is generally considered to be Prince Siddhartha's history. So that was the birth of the form that was labeled Prince Siddhartha. Most fortunate. Then when he grows up and is curious about what the world is about, he goes outside the, the luxurious forms and convincing conditions he's brought up with and identified with to look at old age, sickness, and death. So in the, in the, in the traditional history of the Buddha, you know, the, his, his father, King Sudonana, didn't want Prince Siddhartha to see these, the aging processes, sick people or old people or dead people, because that isn't, you know, that isn't pleasant, that's suffering to see these, these four, what we call devadutas or messengers. In Buddhism, we call them heavenly messengers. An old man, a sick man, a corpse, and an enlightened. The fourth devaduta is a samana, a, a shaven-headed, ochre-robed samana sitting under a tree. So the, these are the, 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 the story, the history that we uh, accept as justified history. Why there's even, I have often considered, you know, if science could prove there never was a Buddha, that it's all just a, a make-up story that's managed to survive 2,500 years. The teaching, the Four Noble Truths, still works to this present time. Even if you could prove that there was never any Prince Siddhartha, Gautama Buddha, there's all a myth, a story made up. The teaching of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, All conditions are impermanent. All Dhamma is not self, is work. When you, you know, it's an invitation to investigate here and now reality. So it is something to really celebrate with Sakha Puja, to really value it. Uh, you know, it's a special day in the, of the year that we dedicate the, the day to, this, to these reflections. So it can be just perfunctory ceremonial practice, you know, celebrations to make merit, to, to get together with your friends, the families to get together, to celebrate, to have a holiday from work, to, you know, and so holidays and celebrations are part of every culture, every religion. 
So we take this special day, we, we label it Visakha Puja, and this, this is an invitation this afternoon to reflect on that. It can be just a, a celebration because it's part of the custom. But it also is an opportunity to look much deeper than just the surface that we that we can see and witness and and then generally we may re respond to in our usual way of Visakha Puja days like this celebration uh, circumambulation of the stupa and special desanas or reflections are available you know these are these are not to be despised to be appreciated. But, you know, when I became a Theravadan Buddhist, I thought, you know, that, you know, I tended to think in very Western terms. I studied history in university, so I, I had a historical background, you know, believing facts of history that are reality. You know, so you, when you study history, you, you believe in, in the, French Revolution and the American Revolution and and all the uh, the Roman Empire, the Greek civilization and Chinese history. You know, you you believe in their facts and they're interesting. Some are interesting, some aren't. Civilization as it arises and ceases, develops, reaches a peak and then tends to degenerate and disappear. Where is the Sumerian civilization now, or the Minoan civilization? You know, these are civilizations, the Egyptian, ancient Egypt. You know, it's, you know, they, they had their day, their period where they grew, began, grew, developed, reached a peak, and then suddenly degenerated and are forgotten. So civilization is, you know, what you know. We have this tendency to believe our civilization is special. Western civilization, modern science, modern ways of thinking, reason and logic. These are these are the real important issues of our time. Climate change. How do medical science is an important. Uh, and appreciated science at this time in terms of dealing with disease. Old age, you know, how are we going to look after our elderly people, you know? Corpses, what do we do when you hear the reports around the world around the COVID pandemic of corpses piling up in India and, and uh, not enough place to put them or bury them or cremate them. Corpses are galore, you know, at this time because of pandemics, disease, that we're all easily subjected to. You know, we all, many of us have been vaccinated against COVID virus to protect us from this, this pandemic. But pandemics have been part of every civilization 
plagues and pandemics. You know, it's what Prince Siddhartha began, awakened Prince Siddhartha to the realities of these forms are vulnerable, very vulnerable. You know, they're just going to grow up and get old, get sick and die anyway. So what's, you know, why dedicate our life to personal identities with something that inevitably is incredibly disappointing and delicate and fragile and can easily be injured or killed or annihilated. It's just what we're here for, to, to just procreate the species and survive as best we can. So Prince Siddhartha, you know, this is an awakening moment. This is the, 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 the legend that we find valuable to us in this tradition. Leaving the, the, the precincts of pleasure, abundance, security, beauty, all the, the pleasant fragrances and, and where nobody's sick, nobody's old, no corpses, no pandemics, as a kind of heavenly realm, special realm that <clears throat> Prince Siddhartha was born into, very fortunate. We were not born into such a realm. All of us, we were born into modern life, into various families and various conditions, some wealthy families or middle class or working class or poor families. But the suffering of the first noble truth is common to every one of us, whether it's a prince, a king, a queen, a president, prime minister, the most gifted human individual on the planet, to the most unfortunate human being that exists at this time. You know, suffering is the world that we believe in and we, we want to get rid of suffering by conquering death, conquering disease, conquering old age, conquering the, the devadutas or the heavenly messengers that at this time awaken us to, to shake us, to shock us, to shake us up, make us look, what is, what is the purpose of our life? And that's the whole emphasis, the strength of the Buddhist teaching is the Four Noble Truths, the, the suffering is to be understood, not to be analyzed and despised and rejected and and condemned or gotten rid of. It's not about getting rid of suffering. You know, the cessation of suffering isn't that we get rid of it. We, we destroy suffering. That's an intellectual hope, an idea. But the forms that we identify with are very unsatisfactory. They get old, get sick, and die. And so awakening to, to the, you know, to find our real identity, our real refuge isn't in phenomena, conditions. 
isn't in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, or in a place, in, a, in an ideal utopian society that can live forever and never get sick and is always beautiful and perfect. That's a hope or a wish. But that's not, we can't take refuge in hopes and wishes because they're created with words. They're believed, they're, you know, what you believe in or hope for. But what is the reality of here and now? It's consciousness, isn't it? You're all conscious. The forms sitting here in this temple are all conscious forms, apparent here and now. It's Dhamma here and now. Timeless awareness here and now is the ability to reflect on the present, on these noble truths as, as, they, as we are encouraged to, first of all, understand suffering. And to understand suffering isn't to go to the library and try to find out what other people said about it or try to get rid of it, but to use it, use the aging process that we experience, use the sickness, the infirmities, the COVID pandemic, uh, as you know, for reflection by, by grasping, wanting to get rid of COVID-19 is a hope, you know, trying to annihilate it so it never arises again on planet Earth <clears throat> is a hope or expectation that we might be grasping at this moment. Or is it just part of the natural flow of conditioned phenomena, the illusionary forms that were born, grow up, get sick, and cease and die? So Amaravati then is, uh, you know, the deathless realm, but the place is not about a place, not about a, a property in Hertfordshire. It's not about a monastery in England. Amaravati is awareness here and now, deathless, timeless awareness, consciousness, that we're experiencing at this very moment, which we can't see, can't hear, can't smell, can't taste, can't touch. But we know, isn't it? It's knowing. Consciousness, you know you're conscious. Consciousness is, instead of seeing it as your consciousness, and in the Buddhist teaching, consciousness is immeasurable. It has, it's not limited, it's not confined, imprisoned in a, in a human physical body that gets old, gets sick, and dies. It's not personal. You know, to make consciousness personal, I have to think my consciousness as which separates me from you. Because the, the pronoun my consciousness, my, me and mine, makes it, my consciousness as some kind of personal identity, personal quality. And Dhamma is not self. Consciousness, whether you call it consciousness or Dhamma, 
Dhammakaya, whatever word, Sanskrit, Pali, you know, it's about the reality of now rather than than trying to find reality through uh, practices of meditation, trying to get rid of suffering, trying to become enlightened as a person. Personalities can never be enlightened. Prince Siddhartha's personality wasn't enlightened. Prince Siddhartha awakened where he saw no person. Personality is merely an illusion that we create about ourselves, about our forms, about our appearance. So what is death? It's the end of a condition that was born, you know, so death is taken personally, isn't it? Like, I'm gonna die, we're all gonna die, it can be very depressing. Because uh, when we identify with the, with the aging forms that we're living and that we're experiencing, they're gonna die whether it's with COVID pandemic diseases or just old age, heart attacks, cancer. There's so many, you know, when we know it's inevitable, death of the body is inevitable. But it's, it's socially impolite to talk about it. You know, it's not inspiring. It doesn't inspire the kind of is an issue you don't want to really think about, your own death. Because, you, you know, you, you're you know, experiencing consciousness here and now as your reality, but you don't notice that. You're, you're thinking about the appearance, the age, the gender, the, uh, the form of the physical body all the time in terms of the, what you think the real world is. It's not about material planet Earth or the sun and moon. Imagine what would happen to all, to all life on planet Earth and the universe if the sun disappeared. It's a form in space. The sun is, is a condition, a phenomena, a beautiful phenomena that, you know, if it suddenly crashed and went out, we'd all be dead, wouldn't we? So the sun is, in terms of the forms here, would be dead. You know, nothing could survive if there was no sun. But we take the sun for granted, you know, and people, you know, there are sun worshippers in primitive civilizations, or some civilizations that aren't so primitive, they worship the sun because it is you know, a marvelous condition that we can actually see and experience its warmth. But we think, we just take it for granted that it's, you know, it, it, you know we think it's going to last forever and at least during my lifetime, I don't expect it to disappear. Uh, I expect this form, this body to die before the sun does. 
You know, this is all thinking. And operating from the, that the sun is somehow separate from me. It's way out there in space and I'm here in this temple on planet Earth in England. We designate even the spot on the planet. Great Gaddiston, Hertfordshire, you know, you get it down to Amravati in Great Gaddiston, Hertfordshire, that's the address. But consciousness, how does it relate to the sun? You know, if it's boundless, if it has no dimension, then the sun is in consciousness. The same consciousness that we know now, that we awaken to, we see the sun and we feel the sun through the senses. But just in terms of Buddha Dhamma, the reality of here and now, the sun is in consciousness. Consciousness accepts Dhamma, it's Dhamma, it's the reality of here and now. The deathless Dhamma. So it's not about, you know, when the sun stops shining and disappears, because deathlessness isn't about disappearing, about old age, about sickness and death. It's about the here and now reality of conscious awareness that we're all experiencing, that we all know when we break through the delusions that we are very mortal forms, very limited personalities, cultural identities, social, religious identities, into the, into the ultimate reality, which we, you know, we use the word Dhamma, So Dhamma is, is, you know, in term, in definition is, we can apply the word reality, but that's just a word, an English word, the translation of the Pali word. So it's not about clinging to a view of Dhamma, to a word, but to be, recognize this being aware is the reality of Dhamma, conscious awareness here and now. So I offer this as a reflection for this afternoon.